So make sure that you spell it correctly. Uh, you could probably start an OnlyFans with Randy Rubs and just have like pictures of like your seasoning on feet and probably make millions and millions of dollars. Just be like, look, look at th- this is it on feet. I'm just Awesome. Welcome back to the From Field to Plate podcast. My name is Jeremiah Dowdy, and I am here with uh, Randy Nance, who I've just recently started to meet on social media as well as uh, get to know each other on Facebook. And the reason we got to know each other was through his new company that he just started. I think he just started last year, right? 2001 officially. Uh, 2021. Uh, December 7th, we, we registered our first sale. Yes, sir. So very, very recent, but... Um, he started a new rub company called Randy's rubs. Um, so I'm going to kind of let you talk about all about that rub and kind of why you started it. And then we'll kind of go from there if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, uh, my name is Randy Nance. We started Randy's rubs. Uh, I filed for the LLC the second week of November. Uh, we registered our first, um, sale December 7th of 2021 um, through May sales were somewhere around 2000 pounds of seasoning sold, uh, month over month. We've, we've continued to do better than I, my wildest dreams. And the way it started was, uh, I have a son that, that attends Texas A&M, Miami and Aggie, but we tailgated last October 24th and I was there celebrating a passing one of my friends. He passed of COVID the previous August and we brought his wife up there and we went there to cook and. Uh, I love to cook and, and the, the, all of the, the joy and happiness and fellowship that that brings. So driving home, I, you know, I was telling my wife, I said, man, I got a lot of compliments today. And she's like, well, so, uh, you know, that's, she's like, that's kind of normal. You get a lot of compliments. And I said, well, you know, I've been making the seasoning for about 10 years. Maybe there's something to it. You know, maybe we could try and try and sell it, make a few extra bucks. And so that's where the idea came about. Um, our first, our first release is called This Is It. It's just an all-purpose seasoning. Uh, we've since released the steak seasoning, and I have two more labels that I, I just finished the, the fourth label on Friday. I'm going to come out with a blackened seasoning, and then uh, after that will be French fry. And then, of course, we have about six to six to eight other products that we'll be re- releasing just over time as the business continues to grow. But that's kind of how it started, man, and it's it wasn't intentional. I'm a construction project manager, so... I mean, this certainly isn't a full-time gig, but it's uh, it's keeping us busy. Yeah, and I know uh, you sent me a bottle right when you first started, I think, or first made a label, and uh, yes, and I tried it and absolutely loved it. I loved. I think I even wrote you that I like how there was heat on the back end and not like when you were eating it, because I think a lot of times you get caught up in these rubs where you take a bite of it and it's so overpowering with spice or a seasoning right up front that you can't even enjoy what, what you've been into. Right. Um, right. A friend of mine made it, you know, made kind of a spicy rib rub and it was so hot eating the ribs that you couldn't even enjoy the ribs versus the one that you sent where as you're eating, it has amazing flavor. But then when you're done, you're like, whoo, like there's a little bit, you know, a little bit of heat there on the, on the back of the throat, which I think really kind of, in my opinion, elevated that, that seasoning. Cause I'm a guy who gets sent seasonings daily. And I think I told you that too. Like, it's just, right. I mean, everyone and then their mom who makes the seasoning sends it to me in 90% of those seasonings I try and I just throw away. Um, just cause it, it's, there's nothing to really write home about it. And you sent me your steak rub, which was 
incredible. We used it and I, you know, gave my two cents and all that kind of stuff on it. But I think on my, I mean, you you can talk more on that, but what, what made you want to develop it with that idea of like that heat on the end and not on the top? So the, the season that I've been making was, is the, this is at the AP, you know, all the all purpose. Um, I, it really started as a Tony Satries and uh, that, that was the base of the seasoning. And of course, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not using Tony Satries, but in creating this recipe, I had to figure out how to make it or my version of Tony Satries and then add other ingredients. And, you know, Tony, Tony's as a Creole Cajun type of seasoning, it has some heat in there. So uh, this is, it does have black pepper and some red pepper. Um, but the word that I get described as the seasoning most, and these are, these are customers, not really myself is savory. Uh, and it does, it has that little bit of heat on the back, but that's mainly in the raw. You know, if you use it, if you use it as a cooking, it's just like an amplifier. It just amplifies the flavor of whether you're putting it on potatoes, French fries, eggs, fresh avocado, or any protein, you know, um, and then moving into the 13 zero, which is the steak seasoning. It's more of a chunkier ingredient version of this is it with a with a little little spin on it as well adding some smoked paprika and um larger chunks of black pepper and more coarse salt and so on um so you know the the baseline for our seasonings in my opinion will probably always be that this is it um and then we'll do a little spin off from there Uh, these first two products are sugar-free uh of course we will be eventually coming out with like a brisket and a pork and you know, to, to get a really good bark and crust on those type of uh, meats in terms of barbecue, then certainly we'll add some sugar to those. Uh, but we're not there yet. So, so, so far our stuff's sugar-free. Yeah. I noticed that in the steak seasoning that you sent um, was just those bigger chunks of like flaky salt in there, as well as Correct. you can kind of see the herbs better than, you know, it's, right. it's not as fun. You think like, you know, you're using some of these rubs that you get and it's just, it's almost a powder. It's so fine when you're putting it on there. And this one really did have, when you grilled up those, I mean, I grilled up a bunch of venison steaks cause I can't eat beef, but I could right. see the ingredients as it grilled versus it just turning into, you know, uh, a crust as you were saying in that, in that aspect of it. So no, I think that's huge. So, and even for hunters, I know that you're a big hunter. If you, if, if you look, look at this video at all, there's death behind you. Um, <laughs> yeah. on, on the walls. I mean, I'm seeing, looks like a nice white tail. You got a bobcat. So we got a couple yeah, yeah. Euro, Euro mount skulls on there. Yeah, that are all tilted. Euros. Uh, is that a, is that a mallard up there or is that a, uh, I think we have a gadwall and blooming too. We actually, Dylan shot a, uh, my son, Dylan, he shot a, a three full curl, uh, mallard. It's actually in the freezer. It needs to go to the taxidermist. Wow. But, uh, he he was out went with went with one of our neighbors and I mean I've never shot a mallard and then it was that was very cool for him to come home with three full curls uh, as a nice you know mature duck and uh, and uh, he's he's proud of it actually this bobcat is his too the one you're looking at here and it's it's big man I mean it's a big bobcat and uh, kind of a f- funny side story there is uh, we're hunting on this place in East Texas and uh, with some with some friends of mine um, Phil and Mike they they own the property and. Um, he shot this bobcat and they'd been hunting up there for 16 or so years and no one had ever killed a bobcat. Well, Dylan kills one. Well, the following year in the exact same stand, literally walking the exact same trail, Dylan shoots a second bobcat, which is virtually the exact same size. Uh, but he, he blew that one apart a little bit. So we, it didn't make it to the taxidermist, but, uh, 
anyway, super, super cool, super cool um, story from an East Texas uh, place that, that you just don't see the critters like that, you know? Yeah, um, I we were I was hunting a ranch uh, in Texas, teaching one of my classes, and same sort of deal. I'm sitting in a blind. I was like, oh yeah, you know, if you guys get any predators, like oh you'll see, you know, lots of coyotes running around, maybe some fox, but no bobcats, no none of this stuff. He goes, but if you do see anything, just make sure you shoot it. You know, sort of that old rule in Texas: a deer hunt becomes a predator hunt as soon as you see a predator, right? Um, prime prime time or not, if there's a predator, so, take it out. Yeah. yeah. And so that's just kind of, you know, here in Southern California too, it's a coyote hunt, you know, a deer hunt becomes a coyote hunt as soon as you see one just because there's so many of those stinking dogs running around. But this huge male bobcat came out and sat right in the middle of the road at like 35 yards. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking down and I see a bunch of hogs under, under a feeder at like 120 yards and I'm waiting for the deer to come out. And it just catches my eye, him sitting right there, right? So I just pivot and I, I have a 30 out six. I'm like, I'm going to blow this thing apart, but got to do what you got to do. And I love eating Bobcat. To me, it's one of the best, best cat critters to eat. It's phenomenal meat. And the problem is it was so close that that 30 out six actually went through it without the bullet expanding at all. And it was like, went right through the ribs through the cat just dropped where it was at. And I walk over there and there, you couldn't even see a mark from where the entrance and exit was. It was just that fast, that quick coming out of that gun. And so I was like, wow. Oh, I got so, if I would have hit that shoulder, it would have just been would have been gone, but I just, I just made it right through that rib cage perfectly. Like, I mean, it was gorgeous. So I sat there and skinned it out. We ate that cat actually at one of the classes. And although I had six Texas guys there, they're like, we're not going to eat Bobcat. You know, that old mentality of it's disgusting. It's nasty. And then afterward they're like, let's go hunt Bobcat. Like that was phenomenal meat. And (laughs) and it's always funny when you can, when you can really kind of convert. I always say, if I can get a Texan to eat something, then I've done my job. And that's, that's that's not saying much because, you know, y'all have amazing food, but you have these, these mindset of what is edible in Texas. Like a lot of, you know, Texans won't eat javelina. They're just, I mean, you can, you're shaking your head. Yes. You just realize that, you know, they're these stinky, disgusting animals. We'll just go shoot them all. You know, we'll leave them where they lay type aspect of it. And I can't tell you how many Texans I've turned over by making a good barbacoa or a good sausage or a chorizo out of javelina. They're like, dang it. Now I got to go freaking. Now I got to save these animals that stink so bad, but it's, it, there's a, there, there's an art when it comes to it. sort of like you making a, you know, your seasonings and rubs, the more you use it and the more you develop it and the better you get at it, you're going to understand the process. Right. And I think when it comes right. to, to hunting and cooking, it's the same aspect. People get so scared because of that one time that somebody screwed it up and you're just like, ah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even go there. I'm not even going to attempt it and, and all that stuff. So so tell us more about the new rubs you have coming out. You said a blackened seasoning. So is this going to be more of like a jerk style blackened seasoning or more of like a coffee blackened style seasoning? Um, it, it'll it'll be an orangish red in color. Um, it, it's just going to be a traditional. It'll be great on any type of saltwater fish, but it'll do well on uh, on uh, shrimp and and freshwater fish as well. Um, so it'll it'll just be kind of like the herb crusted blackened seasoning. I don't know if. Um, if you've ever heard of Paul Prudhomme, that, that he, he makes a, a one called Redfish Magic. It makes a phenomenal black and redfish. Um, in, in my research that I've done, my, this seasoning will compare to his in terms of um, texture and color and stuff like that. Um, but it's going to be the same thing. It's, you know, uh, um, this is it. 
is 115 milligrams of salt, so it's low sodium. Uh, the 13-0 steak seasoning, we did increase the salt because, again, you're putting it on steak and things like that, but it's still right at the margin for low sodium. It's at 160 milligrams. Uh, we don't market it as such as low sodium uh, just because it's on the verge, but it is low sodium. But uh, it's going to be called Get the Net. It's a, it's going to be the blocking season, and uh, it will be low sodium as well. I'm not, I'm not completely finished with the recipe, um, but we've had a lot of positive feedback on our products being low, low sodium uh, as well as sugar-free. So there's no point in sugar uh, being that it burns so easily on, on that type of, of product. So uh, it'll definitely be sugar-free and, and low sodium. So the story on Get the Net, I have more fish in my freezer than the law should allow. My, my kids uh, raise chickens through the FFA program here in Texas. And um, in doing so, I, we, we butcher all of our own chickens and so on. And I haven't, I haven't bought chicken in about 12 years. But um, my dad was a Houston police officer for 30 years. And one of his old partners way back in the day, his name's Jimmy. Well, Jimmy and my dad were fishing on the eve of when my mom went into labor with me. And literally to this day, Jimmy, Jimmy and I barter chicken for, for crappie, uh, as well as some channel catfish. But like this guy has been mad at fish since the day he was born and, and he's knocking on the door 70 years old and he's still mad at him. I mean, like he absolutely loves to fish. Um, but anyways, he's as long as I can remember, I always called him uncle Jimmy. He's not, he's not my uncle. Um, but, but that's what he's, I grew up knowing him as. And anyways, he would always say, get the net. And it's kind of like the, the saying for approval, the saying for, you know, like, check this out. And he'd always say, like, get the net. And he and I text on occasion. And his way of reaching out to me in every instance will always be get the net. And then I'll know to respond. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? So anyway, there's a little story on the label about that. And uh, uh, there's actually a picture of him uh, going to be on the label as well. So that's kind of an inspiration um, behind get the net. So as we move move on through the the future of the seasonings, I, I've, I've already found it um, kind of my niche is to be able to have a story with what, what we're developing. Um, and again, this is it. I mean, it's a maroon label, again, a little bit of an Aggie, but um, that's, that's a sub part to the storyline of, of how I was raised with grandparents that barbecue. And I mean, it took me until I was, you know, I'm 46 years old. It took me until I was in my thirties to realize that the camaraderie and fellowship and entertainment and uh my big mama which was my my mom's mom that's where I, you know a lot of the motivation that comes from is that she believes the way to someone's heart is through their stomach and uh and uh, you mentioned in a few of your you know in some of your podcasts previously is that uh go to a hunting ranch somewhere and don't talk politics just feed people food and all of a sudden there's fellowship and creating memories and that's what we hope this business becomes is that um we can we can spice up taste buds along the way and hopefully be on the tables of of, of Americans all across the country to be able to help them fellowship and create memories and uh, and have some great food doing it. Yeah, and and if you have listened to any of my podcast or me at all speak for the past seven years that I you know because I quit my job in the restaurant industry, like I had a very successful career in the restaurant industry. Uh, you know, nice, clean shaven. Now I'm look like a freaking burly man and <laughs> working in this, we're working in the restaurant industry. It, I was blown away, uh, just by people when they're eating food. And, you know, I started working in the restaurant industry when I was 17, got out when I was, um, 33. 
almost, yeah, because I'm going to be 40. So 33 when I got out. So you do the math on how long I sat there watching people eat and watching food get devoured. And it always blew my mind that when there's good food, there's amazing conversation. When there's bad food, it, it really just destroys the environment for everyone around them when there's bad food. They can come in being excited and something gets screwed up on their meal or an onion where an onion's not supposed to be, and it just devastates a person. And so what I started teaching all of my servers that I was training and the managers that I was training, and because I used to write develop like manager development training programs, I would I developed all the training for servers, hosts, bartenders, back of the house, front of the house, you name it. That's my job was developing rest, you know, through my career. And it was always about how can you make that positive experience through food versus negative food? Because someone comes into a restaurant and has a positive, positive experience. They may tell one or two people, right? But how many people do you know that have a negative experience in a restaurant and they'll tell everybody on their mom, all over Facebook, all over social media at church on Sunday. Oh my gosh, don't go eat it blank. And the server was horrible and fill in the blank. And so when we talk about food, Food is that great equalizer that that really kind of determines someone's day. If you wake up and you have a crappy breakfast, it really jacks up your day for the rest of the day. <laughs> if like, like 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 my daughter this morning, she opened up, you know, the cupboard and she wanted to make oatmeal with peanut butter and bananas. So she gets her oatmeal out. She's making her oatmeal. She's, you know, on the stove. She's cutting up her banana. She reached in to grab the peanut butter and the peanut butter is empty. My youngest had put the peanut butter back. And she's like, dad, I'm going to have a horrible day. And blah, blah, blah. it's like... Oh gosh, like there's more peanut butter in the garage. Go get freaking peanut butter. Oh, okay. And all of a sudden she was happy again. And I think for you saying that about your rubs, I think that's a, that is a huge positive because if you can create a memory for somebody, you know, like you going to football games and watching, you know, and tailgating and creating a memory for everyone that's there, people remember that rub. They remember the stories and all of a sudden, Hey, do you remember that one time blank fill in the blank? And so for you to be able to be that positive, I think is, is huge on, on a lot of aspects of it. Yeah, there's a, in in my opinion, there's two things. And and again, you touched on the food and taking politics out of stuff, but there's two things, there's two things that you can put any walk of life on planet earth in front of people and they can interact and get smiles and you don't even have to know each other's language, but it's music and food. Right. And I can promise you, you don't want to hear me sing or play any musical instruments. Same here. We'll leave it up to the food piece and, and when I'm doing that via the seasonings. Yeah. I remember I was traveling to, you talk about music and food. I was talking, I was traveling to India and we were working at this orphanage in India and the group we had brought was not world traveled and kind of very, very nervous about going into some of these villages that we were going into. Um, there was females and males kind of all in that, 30 to 60 range kind of in that older adults. And I remember we going to this village and it was an intimidating village in the middle of India. Uh, and it was long story short, we're sitting there and a lot of the, one of the ladies is like, I just don't feel safe. I was like, why don't you feel safe? She's like, Oh, look at all these, you know, fill in the blank. And we get brought to this big open slab of concrete in the middle of this Indian jungle. And, all these men start coming out of the, like the woodwork and these females start coming out of the woodwork and they all start sitting around in circles and s- around us. And these, these couple, these ladies were getting all nervous, right? All of a sudden they all, all started playing homemade instruments and started singing and dancing. And 
the attitude instantly changed with those ladies that were sitting in front of us. And as they're singing and dancing, also these little kids start bringing out all these different treats, you know, little treats that they had made candy treats and home cooked treats. And all of a sudden these ladies that were so nervous and so scared to be there were up dancing and eating food and having this great time because of the walls are broken down. And for me, when I talk to a lot of vegans, vegetarians, I find that when it comes to the aspect of you take out killing the animal or abuse of animals or whatever, but you start talking about food on, on a, on a gut level. So these people that are, I have, there's been a couple of vegans, vegetarians that I know that have actually gotten very, very sick from living the vegan vegetarian lifestyle because their bodies are just rejecting that lifestyle and having to work that into them to become healthier by actually eating proteins and eating meats and realizing that the hunting industry is not the, the evil part of the industry, you know, and showing they're like, well, we're, we're anti large farming where I'm like, so am I, Oh, we're anti this. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't buy stuff from the grocery store. Yeah. Neither do I. Okay. So we're, we're almost exactly the same people. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like all those critters behind you and behind me, they only had one bad day in their entire life. And that's when, you know, they met me, you know, or whatever, you know, you can walk in like a cowboy, but like that's the day they met me. But I think that's kind of the whole aspect of it. And I think for you on the seasoning side of it, yeah, it's just a seasoning, but think about when there's well seasoned food or good seasoned food and it makes memories. You know, you and I have talked a lot. I, I remember the first time I had chupacabra seasoning, you know, and these, and these dudes are just like you, they started out with an idea and now they're, you know, in, in all the Walmarts around the country. And I think that's gotta be encouraging for you. Cause they're another Texas based company that just said, Hey, we're going to do this. Now it's like they, they're exploding and you're completely different than them, which I think is even better and even awesome. But I remember that first time I had that seasoning in Texas at a ranch when I was trying to cook for a bunch of people and they forgot all the groceries. And I, I literally had a deer hanging and I opened up the cupboard and there's just one bottle of seasoning. Right. There's no garlic. There's no pepper. There's no salt. And I'm like, this ranch sucks so bad. <laughs> and I grab that bottle of seasoning and I season that, that venison steak. I throw it on the grill. I'm grumpy. I'm like, bruh, 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 you know, like I'm trying to cook for these people, trying to make an impact. And I slice into it, I take a bite. And I was like, holy crap. Like, what the heck? And I'm like, look at this bottle. And I was like, what? And they're like, someone's like, that bottle's been in there for like four years. I was like, what the? You know, and I think for you too, when you sent me that seasoning, you were like, try it on everything. And I did. I, I grabbed a venison loin. I was like, it's just going to be seasoned. I'm going to throw it on the grill. Because to me, putting it on the grill with just the seasoning and cooking it to like 125 is the only way to really try something. Because I can mix it with garlic mashed potatoes, but it's still garlic mashed potatoes. Or I can mix it That's macaroni great. and cheese, but it's still macaroni and cheese. But to take a plain steak or a plain piece of chicken or a plain, whatever you have in the freezer and put a little bit of seasoning on it and eat it, I think it really tells you the story behind that seasoning. So, yeah, the two, the chupacabra guys are actually an inspiration behind us as well. It's uh, I may have touched on this in our, in our messaging back and forth a little bit. So um, I'd previously, you know, back in 2010 or 11 or something, I bought this boat and it was, uh, you know, the two, the two best days of a boat owner's life. I didn't sell it. Uh, but I, I had this boat and man, I, I bought it for like 800 bucks and literally I probably put 10 grand into it. Well, I called it the Chupacabra and dude, this thing was towed more times than it, it went under its own power, but it had a big block 454 in it. It was, 
it looked great. I repainted it. I mean, you know, had an awesome stereo and it looked really fast. It just sat more times in the water yeah. actually drove than it ran, you know, but anyways, in, um, in 2016, Chupacabra had started, I think somewhere in 2010 or 11. So they'd already been in the game for four or five years. Well, uh, I worked for a company called Speedy Stop uh, as a project manager building gas stations and so on. And I was way down in Port O'Connor on the coast, Port O'Connor, Texas, uh, in the speedy stuff there. And, and I walked up to this, the end cap, and there it was, this Chupacabra uh, display this season. And so, and I thought that was so funny at the time, like, man, you know, everyone always, you know, busted my chops for the Chupacabra boat and so on. So I took a picture and I sent it to my buddies and I was like, if Randy made a seasoning company, here's what it would be called. And of course they got a big laugh out of it. Well, fast forward to me, to me making this, you know, business, the Randy's rubs. Well, lo and behold, Dylan, you know, my son, that's, that's a student at, at Texas A&M currently, he's going to be a junior in the fall. He has a, one of his roommates graduate and, and move out. And here comes another uh, roommate moving in. Uh, his name's Bryce. Well, Bryce walks in and he sees this bottle of, this is it. You know, Randy's rub sitting on the counter and, uh, Bryce is like, hey, Dylan, what's this? And he's like, oh, man, this is my dad's stuff. He made a seasoning, you know, made a company. And Bryce says, well, have you ever heard of Chupacabra? And again, this is just last, you know, fall or, or actually the beginning of this year, I believe, January or so. And uh, and Dylan's like, yeah, my dad actually loves Chupacabra. It's like, a, you know, he loves their story. And Bryce goes, well, I know the grandson. His name's Dylan, too. Let's call him. So literally, Bryce calls Dylan, uh, Dylan Paris. He's the grandson to, to Alton Paris, the owner of the Two Gringos Chupacabra. And they talked on the phone for an hour. Well, Dylan starts bugging me and he's like, dad, he really wants to talk to you about the business and see how you get, how you're doing and so on. And I blew it off. I was like, man, Chupacabra's way out of my league. I, why is this, why does this guy want to talk to me? And lo and behold, he's like, we got to text him because he doesn't answer, you know, unidentified numbers. I said, well, he and I are similar because I don't either. Anyway, oh, so I, I do, text- I, I answer him just to, just to talk to a random person and make fun of him, but continue <laughs> on your story. That's, that's actually not a bad, I do that too on the, on the sales calls. I tell them to hold on a second and never come back on occasion. Anyway, so um, so I text Dylan one morning. I was working from home that day. I was actually still making seasoning on my own. I didn't have a co-packer at the time. And I said, you know what, I'm going to text this guy. So I text him and said, hey, hey Dylan, this is Randy Nance. Uh, I'd like to visit with you. Give me a call. He texts me back right away. He says, I'm about to be driving for five hours. Give me a second and I'll call you back. And I was like, holy smoke. Like he answered right away. Anyhow, he calls me and we literally talked on the phone for an hour and a half. And he's a he's a fine young man. He's he's you know 21, 22 years old, following his grandfather's footsteps of wanting to do right by Chupacabra and the company. And we just talked seasonings, man. And we talked about you know product design and, and labeling and, and co-packing and you know even profit margins. I mean, we shared a lot of a lot of things that he didn't have to share with me. And at the end of the call, he said, you know what, send me some of your seasonings and, uh, and we're going to try it. And, and if it works out, I'd like to sell your seasonings in our meat markets. Well, he had, they have two meat markets. One is in Bandera, Texas, and one is in uh, Midland, Texas. Send him the seasoning. And he called me back and he said, send me a case of each. We're going to sell it for you. And I thought, man, here's little old Randy from Magnolia, Texas. And uh, literally one of my idols and, 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 you know, in the, in less than six months, we're already uh, in their, in their meat markets and they're, they're helping us out. So, uh, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason and, and the good Lord's putting things in front of us just as, as he has intended. And we want to be able to, to continue to create the memories and, and make full bellies, you know? Amen.
Yeah, no, that's a that's an amazing story. And it's just it's funny too because you get to know people within your own industry and you get to realize that some people that you've looked up to are amazing people and some people that you you've looked you know you've looked up to are complete a-holes. And I that's think exactly that's right. Because there's people that when I first started out as uh, you know, a chef and in, in the wild game industry aspect of it, there were people that I was really looking up to. And when I finally met him, it was like, you know, that whole never meet your hero type aspect of it. And it just really kind of jaded the way the stuff was. And I was like, okay, I'm going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to change the way that the wild game chefs are perceived. Cause when I first got into it, you know, 10 years ago when I started wild game, becoming a wild game chef, there was only a couple handful of people that were doing it right. When you went on social media, it wasn't everybody is now a wild game chef. There was a handful of people that were doing it and half those people were complete, just jerks. And so for me, it was really a motivator, sort of like you, you're looking at, there's so many sauces, there's so many rubs. How do you stand out? How do you make a name for yourself? And that's kind of where I was like, well, how do I change it? And for me, it was, okay, I'm going to be completely open, completely honest, completely humble when it comes to what it is. I'm going to be, you know, have that platform completely different. And now you look at it and seven, eight years later, it's exploded. And it, for me, it's fun because it's like looking at you in the beginning of it was sort of like looking at Chupacabra in the beginning of it when I first tried that seasoning 10 years ago. And to see them, you know, I, I, I literally text, you know, the owners. I was like, I just walked into Walmart here in Southern California and I walked past the seasonings and my eye just caught it. I was like, what the? Because I used, usually I have to get it from HEB when I'm in Texas. Like I right. got to get a case when I'm in Texas. I'm like, okay, great. I, you know, fly it home with me. And it's, I turn around the corner and it's right there. Um, and so I'm excited to one day, hopefully walk into Walmart and be like, Hey, look, this is it. Got it. So I know I did have a question. I was talking to my uh, guy at church and I was telling him I was going to be, inter- you know, having a podcast with you. And he was curious, how does one go about like creating their own seasoning to sell it? Like, cause we all, for me at home, I make a million seasonings at home. He creates a bunch of barbecue rubs and stuff like that. Like what, what's the process if someone's thinking about creating a, like their own rub, like you don't have to give all the secrets, but what's kind of like the no, process I mean, that goes there, into it? There really aren't any secrets that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure there's some industry secrets that I'm not large enough to understand yet, but there were a few things that were really important to me is I wanted the clear, um, the clear polypropylene or whatever that clear plastic bottle so that you could see my product. A lot of these guys use that, that kind of a milky white. I don't, I don't know yeah. how to just, but it's kind of an opaque plastic bottle. And then there's tons of labeling options. Um, but the one thing that I just stumbled on is that whenever you create a barcode, the UPC code of the product, you need to register that product um, by exactly what you're creating. So once you, what you need to do is create your recipe first uh, and doing that, then you have to send it off and get your nutritional data. Uh, basically most seasonings are, are measured in a quarter or a half a teaspoon and then what, what they do is they take, take you know, the, the recipe and they weigh it. And, and depending on the weight, we'll give you the amount of servings per net in the jar, if that makes sense. Yeah. I started out kind of wrong on that. So I had my nutritional data. I knew what my serving size was. And I was really wanting to get 12 ounces into a 16-ounce jar. Uh, I know that sounds silly, but 16 ounces fluids different than, you know, yeah. depending on the volume of the products. Um so, I, and I, I registered my first UPC code as a 12 ounce label. And man, I was really having to like bang the, bang the jars and, and really 
pack them in to get 12 ounces. Um, and turns out it should have been like 10 and a half ounces. Well, then, so then I registered the 10 and a half ounce label and I send it off to the co-packer. Even though they're using the exact same ingredients, they're still different ingredients than what I'm purchasing. So now we're back to where we're yielding a 12 ounce product. Um, so, you know, I kind of wasted a UPC code. And the way that works is there's a worldwide database. It's called GS1. Uh, kind of a fun, not, not, not a funny story for these guys, but a funny story. The Chupacabra guys, they created all these barcodes for years, but they never had GS1 certification. So whenever they, they started to go into HEB, and maybe it wasn't even HEB. I'm not, I'm not sure when that came about, but I mean, these, these guys are selling, you know, million or two dollars worth of seasoning. And then they start approaching some of these bigger guys. And in Texas, HEB is a, a big deal. Um, and they come back and say, hey, uh, this UPC goes registered to a bag of popcorn in China or something, yeah. I mean, something like that, or a pair of women's underwear, whatever. But that, that UPC code, if it's not on the GS1 registry, it can be someone else's product. And I don't know how, but I just stumbled on it doing my own research. So all of my products are already GS1 you know, certified. Um, but in talking to, to Dylan Paris, he's like, yeah, man, we just threw away like $10,000 worth of labels because they had the wrong UPC code because it was, it was good for all their local stuff. But once they started trying to get into that worldwide registry, it was that they were, they were the wrong, wrong UPC codes. So. Now, do you, now do you find when you're creating the recipe and then you have these packers, because you said they use different products, do you see a flavor difference that sometimes you have to recalculate or reevaluate when it comes back to you. Yes. And and that's where, that's where the, this is, it is right now. I mean, I'm, I'm on the, uh, the second version of it. So like the, the one that I sent you is what I was still, you know, making in my house. Um, and, and it's so close that you would never really know the difference, but the difference is, you know, I buy from a restaurant supply place and, and like the gallon jugs, you know, so they're still, um, they're really, um, the consistency of the products from month to month is always good, but the fresh, the freshness isn't necessarily there where these guys are buying. These co-packers are literally buying pallets of chili powder, pallets of, you know, of, of sea salt and the different, whatever the products are. Um, and they're and literally their business is seasoning every day. So their freshness is through the roof. And one of the problems was, um, the co-packer that I'm using, he he gets really, really fresh chili powder, which is one of the ingredients in, in uh, both products, actually, but in, more so in This Is It. And uh, it was really red. So the color had changed to more of like a Lowry season salt to mm. where it was that orange. And I, I was okay with it, but I was like, man, that's not what I created to begin with. So I had to go back and modify the recipe a little bit and pull a little chili powder out. And it really didn't change the, change the flavor profile much, but... Again, what I've learned now is I've purchased in bulk, you know, a pound or two at a time of his ingredients. So now I'm buying the co-packers ingredients. So as I go through the get the net, um, we, we touched a little bit on French fry. That that, that um, seasoning is going to be called spirit sprinkles, kind of a red, white, and blue theme um, for, the, for the French fry. And so anyway, I'm using his ingredients now to create my recipes where there shouldn't be a problem once he starts commercially blending it um i'm already using exactly what he's going to package my my products with so there shouldn't be any deviation so uh, that was one of my biggest stumbling blocks is if, if you have somebody wanting to do that i would maybe shop a co-packer first and then say hey i'm wanting to do this 
I have a recipe, but let me try your ingredients to match it up before you start getting friends and family and customers. And then they expect one thing and the co-packers creating something else. Yeah. Uh, that, even though yeah, the recipe is a little different. You know? Yeah. That's what I was just curious about because you think about like, I work with uh, different, you know, like bourbon barrel spices and stuff like that. These guys, and they do um, like batch labels, right? So their soy sauce is a batch label. So from product to product, depending on the batch label you get, you're going to really kind of see that deviant in flavor profile because of whatever soybean they were using in their soy sauce or whatever um, palate they were, you know, because what, what they'll do is they'll, they'll take old bourbon barrels, break them down, and they'll smoke their seasonings with those old bourbon barrels, right? And so depending on which which bourbon was being used will really define kind of that flavor. So you can really tell if it was a, a you know, a Kentucky bourbon or if you're looking at some like a Tennessee bourbon and you get those flavor profiles. So I was just curious in, in the grand scheme of it, if you're seeing that in that, but if he's using just like a generic chili powder, it's probably the same, the same packer he's getting every single time. So it's really consistent on, on that flavor. Yeah. And and I thought, I mean, I I drilled him pretty hard because I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I'm committed to the product that I've created, you know, and it's, it's kind of a silly comparison, but like, it's the same reason I don't take my deer meat to a processor is I don't trust anybody. And, and in this game, you have to trust somebody. I mean, I don't have a, a health license, so I can't really make it in my house anymore. You know what I mean? So, uh, I'm, I'm relying on bit other businesses to create my product. And, um, uh, I think, I think that's, it's, it's easy to do once you get that relationship, but I had to drill, you know, had the interview process and be like, okay, I, I need you to tell me like, you know, am I going to get, you know, re- uh, red chili powder this month and then you're going to have a different version next month and my product's going to change. And the answer is no. I mean, some of the, some that he does have different vendors um, for more generic type of, of, of spices that, that don't have color, you know, say garlic powder, onion powder. Um, but whenever you, whenever you create the full recipe, uh, it's, it's not going to yield much um, color or flavor change. Yeah, no, that's just, I, cause I think that would be a big thing. It's like all of a sudden you get this body, like this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. And then you're stuck with, you know, a case of 10,000 freaking bottles of, of seasoning that you're trying to figure out how, what to do with and relay. Yeah, right. And, and, they, know, and they don't recipe. look or taste like what, yeah. right. They don't look or taste like what you wanted, you know? Yeah. So, well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate it. So, uh, kind of tell people where they can find your rub, buy your rub, where they can follow you guys on social media from Facebook to Instagram to, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, we do, we do TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. I am not good at TikTok. However, we're trying. It seems well, you, to be a tr- Yeah. You got to start dancing more. It's what I got told. Uh, cause <laughs> my, right. cause, cause my TikTok, I throw up amazing food videos and it's like, no, Someone's like, oh, you got to get on there and dance. I was like, I really don't care that much. I'm not going to get up there and be like, <laughs> my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard just to get, you know. <laughs> well, but coincidentally, have, have son, actually, I mean, he's from, you know, he's Texas A&M. He, he, he see him kind of sneaking in the back. He, he, he probably knows how to twerk or something like that. Uh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely a big twerker. Yeah, so. it shows. His, his body style looks like he's got that nice round butt. So, I mean, it's uh, very, very entertaining. He's doing it right now. If you're watching a video, it's hilarious. He's... <laughs> working all over the place. So, uh, but yeah, kind of continue where they can find you and the name. Sorry. Yes. So anyway, last week we started doing TikTok lives and man, not surprisingly, we've, I can't believe the amount of orders we got off of TikTok live. So we're going to continue that trend 
uh, as time allows, and I can cook meals, and obviously we do it over cooking, but TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, at Randy's Rubs. Randy'sRubs.com is our website, and I am not an IT guy. This is just a self-made GoDaddy. Um, but over time, over time, it's as, as, as you uh, mentioned to me earlier about building your website, it's uh, those days are coming. I just I need to continue to, you know, it, it's hard to make a living off of a ten dollar bottle a season. So um, as as money comes in, we're putting it right back out to continue for product awareness and to grow the business. But it's randysrubs.com. That's the website. Yeah, and don't do randyrub.com. That's probably a porn site. So make sure that you spell <laughs> it correctly. Uh, you could probably start an OnlyFans with Randy Rubs and just have like pictures of like your seasoning on feet. And probably make millions you know, and millions just, of dollars. Just be like, look, look at this, <laughs> this is it on feet and just have some, you know, foot dip in a pool and you pour I mean, So I do tell people when I give you amazing ideas, like I just did 1% is all I ask for. Um, 1%. No one, right. no one's ever given me 1% on their amazing ideas, but one day someone's gonna be like, Hey, I made, you know, I made a mill. Here's your 1%. And then I'm like, awesome. It finally pays off. So start your only fans, you know, Randy rubs feet and just, this is it. And then, you know, 1% is all I ask when you're making your millions off if you're your only fan. So well, I'm one step ahead of you. So whenever I started this business, I had no idea how I was going to sell it. Like I had no idea. And then the barbecue scene here in Texas, it's really easy to go to these cook-offs and I was going to hand out samples and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, trying to create a business and our last name's Nance. So we thought about doing Nance Spice Company and, and, you know, keeping the family name and all this stuff. Well, anyway, Randy's rubs is, it kind of sounds sexual. That's just like what pops into your mind. And it's like, Hey man, sex sells, right? Yeah. I actually secured the, the domain rubmymeat.net, And that was going to be the idea is to put on t-shirts and stuff. If you have, we go have girls handing out samples and stuff at cook-offs, but I really, I haven't even had to use that as a placeholder. And what we're going to do is just use it as a placeholder and kick it over to randysrubs.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a, as a construction guy, I really tried to think of the marketing ideas and um, I mean, I own the, I own that website. So I guarantee you once we start March, that's probably going to come about to where the rub my meat will be on there. We have some really kind of cheesy t-shirt ideas and stuff that your mind can wander wherever it wants, but it's all in good fun. Well, you, know, you, we, well you said you listened to the podcast. So if you listen to like episode two and I talked to Mike Eldred, and he talked about like uh, his love rub, right? Like he did yeah. the same thing. It was his, his love rub. And it was this, oh, you know, love rub. Love rub's good on everything. And like, oh, go go love your rub. And, you know, put go rub your meat with my love. And it's it's funny, but it, it gets that kitsch and it gets that idea in people's heads and, and really kind of is hilarious in that sense. But, no, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I appreciate you reaching out and, uh, and sending me some, some rubs because – Again, I get so many of them, and the ones that stand out are the ones that I want to talk to. And I told you in the very beginning, I'm going to be open and honest with it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. You know, I think I even said, hey, I would add a little more of this, or I didn't taste this. Um, and you were like, oh, well, the reason is behind this. I was like, oh, then that's perfect. And so right. I think uh, I, I really appreciate that. And if you have a chance to go try it, I would say try it. Um, find find where you can get a bottle. Really give it a, give it a go. Throw on a piece of steak. Throw it on some taters. Uh, and get out there. And I, I'm excited for the, for the new products because a lot of guys in Texas, they just pour a bottle or, you know, or a packet of ranch seasoning on their redfish and call it a day. So to create something that they can throw on their redfish, I think is, is big because there's not enough out there. I can't tell you how many ranches I go to. The guys just take a packet of ranch dressing, 
pour it on the redfish, you know, half shell, throw it on the grill. I'm like, really? You can do so much more than just an MSG yeah, package that's, of That's value. not very unique. No. So anyway, keep at it. And uh, again, if you have a chance, go go find him on social media. Uh, just make sure you spell it correctly. Um, and uh, have a good a good, good time trying those rubs.